This episode is sponsored by Audible. If you like podcasts, then you'll love Audible. To download your free audiobook today, go to audibletrial.com slash yap. You're listening to Yap, Young and Profiting Podcast, a place where you can listen, learn, and grow. I'm Hala Taha, and today's episode focuses on sleep, an activity as important to our well-being as diet and exercise that we spend one-third of our lives doing. Joining us today is Dr. Daniel Gartenberg, a leading sleep scientist who has dedicated the past 10 years helping people get a better night's rest through his sleep coaching consultancy and innovative sleep apps. Hey, Dan, thanks for joining Young and Profiting Podcast. Hey, thanks for having me. I appreciate it. So let's start off the interview talking about you for a little bit. You dedicated the last 10 years of your life on sleep. What are the types of activities that you've been doing and how do you hope to make an impact on the world? So what's always really captivated me about sleep is that it's basically the human behavior that we do the most of. So if you could just improve that behavior, even a very small percent or amount, it would have basically a massive impact on our productivity, our health, and our well-being. I grew up with parents in the medical professions. My dad was a doctor. And one of the things that I was always struck by was, you know, how poor our healthcare system is at doing things like preventative health. Sleep, I see as sort of a pathway to promoting some of these preventative health interventions that can basically address almost every chronic health illness. And I think it could just make people live happier, healthier, more productive lives. And I think people are starting to get cued in on the fact, and I really believe this, that sleep is actually more important for your health and productivity than even diet and exercise. So that's why, you know, I've spent the past 10 years on this. I got a PhD in cognitive psychology, really trying to understand this process and why I want to make technology that's scientifically validated to actually improve people's sleep quality so that seven and a half hours of sleep feels more like eight hours. And speaking of the science of sleep, that's a relatively new thing, right? Why is the interest in sleep rising? Yeah, it's an interesting thing where the Greeks and various cultures have been interested in sleep since the beginning of civilization. But as scientists, they really only started understanding this in the 1950s when researchers put electrodes on various places on the head. And we're able to, for the first time, identify REM sleep or rapid eye movement and non-REM sleep, which has various levels of light and deep. And so that was the first time that those stages were differentiated. And then since then, just a lot has come out about how sleep is related to almost every chronic health illness out there. And as we look into these associations, they're under, really starting to understand the causal mechanisms between sleep and health, cardiovascular disease, mood disorders. And I think that there's this interest now because people, the science is starting to point to that direction. And also people are just so overworked and overstimulated from the phones and all these other societal pressures that sleep is really being hurt in the current culture that we're living in. When it comes to millennials, I'm really torn on my opinion of sleep. Some studies report that American millennials get 25 minutes more sleep on average. 
So that puts them into that seven to nine hour range, which is traditionally the recommended amount of sleep. And we are getting more sleep because we have higher unemployment rates. We're focused on a better work-life balance. But then at the same time, millennials are known to be the always tired generation. We're supposedly getting more sleep than others, but I feel like, you know, we're exhausted. So can you try to make sense of that? So one of the first things is, are we actually getting more or less sleep? And they actually have these studies where they compare like current civilizations to indigenous tribes and whatnot. Probably we are generally getting more sleep than like we used to like 10,000 years ago because it's pretty stressful like sleeping outdoors in these hot, uncomfortable environments and being afraid of predators. But since like the 50s, there's a Gallup poll, for example, that shows we're sleeping about an hour less than we did during that time probably due to things like television keeping us up and other things like that. And that kind of brings to the other question with the millennials. I think it's unclear if they actually are sleeping more or less. I haven't actually seen that they're sleeping more. But one of the big things that you have to keep in mind here is that there's a difference between sleep amount and sleep quality. Not all sleep is created equal. For example, like if you have an infection, you need to sleep more the next day. Um, if you've you know, worked out too much, for example, you need to have your body restore itself by sleeping more. So I guess there's the question of if they're actually sleeping more. And then the main thing is, is their quality actually better so that you know, seven hours feels more like seven and a half hours? So quality over quantity. Basically, yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. And I know that millennials are known to be the most stressed generation ever. Increased workplace demands, very competitive environments. We're taking on more side hustles and second jobs. So I know high stress equals poor sleep. So yeah, like you said, it's probably not the deep restorative sleep that we need. That's exactly right. I mean, there's a lot of research that shows when you're stressed, it kind of activates your fight or flight response and you just get less quality sleep. So talk to us about the stages of sleep and what are the functions of these stages? Yeah, so it's really interesting. In the United States, there's four stages of sleep. In Europe, they have actually five stages of sleep. So it's kind of like these categorical variables that we just put labels on. That being said, there's certain key features here. So there's rapid eye movement or REM sleep, And that's when our bodies are totally paralyzed. Everyone agrees that there's REM because there's very clear signals to this. So our bodies are paralyzed, our eyes move around, and we basically lose thermal regulation of our bodies. And this is when we integrate the relevant information that we've had throughout the day into our long-term memories and personalities and replay them in a way that's meaningful to us. And then there's non-REM sleep. And this is when your brain functions very differently than waking life. It produces what are known as delta waves, which are these long burst brain waves. There's a theory in the literature called the synaptic homeostasis hypothesis, which is this idea that during deep sleep, we basically have all these excitatory connections during the day that results in the overall activation of the neurons in our brains being higher And during deep sleep, we downscale, we downregulate all that information. 
such that only the relevant things to our survival rise to the top. So it used to be like, I only need to remember that there's predators on that side of the forest. So that's what's going to be down regulated and rise to the top during deep sleep. Now it's, you know, what did so-and-so think about me in my presentation and, you know, all these other more social things. So that's thought to be the main function of deep sleep. And then in REM, you replay and integrate that relevant information. So really, while you're sleeping, you're learning and you're memorizing and things like that. Can you explain that a little bit more? Because I think this is a really important point. Yeah, I mean, there's a ton of research showing that people perform better in various memory and procedural tasks when they sleep compared to, say, not sleeping and practicing a lot. So like for any high schoolers out there listening or college students, you know, I would almost always recommend sleeping before cramming. And that's just to consolidate the information. And then there's also just executive functioning, which is completely impaired when you're sleep deprived. So you're not going to perform better on that test or that presentation when you cram for it. So you're saying you need to study and then sleep, right? Yes, that's exactly right. Yeah. (laughs) So that you can process and, and make sure that your brain basically puts things in the right places. I think about it kind of like a muscle. You know, if you push that muscle too hard, it's going to give out and you're going to have a negative outcome in terms of performance. There's basically an ideal amount of processing versus sleep that you need to do in order to actually perform better on the test or whatever you're working on. So tell us, what are the effects of sleep deprivation? And when would you officially consider someone to be sleep deprived? The American Academy of Sleep Science recommends that adults get at least seven hours a night and up to nine hours. So what that's suggesting is that there's a distribution of sleep need probably like 99% of the population falls into this seven to nine hours range. But keep in mind that you're not spending 100% of the time in bed sleeping. So for example, I'm someone that probably needs closer to eight hours. And actually when I'm dealing with say like some emotional changes or like if I had like a day where, you know, I was really pushing myself cognitively or physically I know that I'll need a little bit more than that. But keep in mind that to get that, say, eight hours, usually have to spend almost eight and a half hours in bed because you don't spend 100% of the time in bed sleeping. It's actually healthy to be asleep for like around 90% of the time is still considered healthy sleep. If you're like less than 85%, that's 85% of the time in bed asleep. That's the kind of the cutoff for insomnia. If you're getting less than seven, you're probably sleep depriving yourself. And you can tell this by if you're like sleeping in on the weekends or if you just feel groggy during the day, there is a very small, and I'm almost reluctant to say this because I don't want people to think that they fall into this category, but close to 0% of the population, probably like 0.4% of the population are what are called short sleepers. And there's actually genes that map onto this and they can get by on like five to six hours of sleep and that's all they need. 
So you were just mentioning something that I often do, which is sleep binge on the weekends. So I have a full-time job and I have this part-time podcast. So I end up, you know, working all day, working all night, sleeping at midnight or past midnight and having to wake up at 6 a.m. for work. And then I sleep binge on the weekends. So is it possible to catch up on your sleep or is that not a healthy way to do it? It's better to make up for your sleep than to not. But that being said, you can't fully make up for the sleep that you've lost in terms of the impact that it has on your body. There are ways to adjust your schedule so that sort of erratic bedtime wake time from the weekday to the weekend is less dramatic for the body. So a simple hack to get better quality sleep is to have a consistent sleep-wake schedule because that entrains your body for when it should be awake and it should be asleep, and that actually improves your sleep quality. And so when you have an erratic bedtime, that kind of makes it, for example, more difficult to fall asleep on a Sunday when you're out till 3 o'clock or 12 or whatever on that Saturday and you sleep until 11. So like, a, here's a real simple hack is if you're out late on a Saturday, Try not to sleep in too much and then take a power nap during your circadian dip in order to make sure you can get through the day, but also make sure that you're tired when you want to go to bed at around 11 p.m. So let's talk about what happens when you have a lack of sleep. How does it impact our productivity? It impacts everything. (laughs) Strongly related to cardiovascular disease, diabetes, hypertension, Alzheimer's disease. Some research shows cancer. But then there's also the cognitive impact where it really negatively impacts creativity and divergent thinking. You actually have less of a sense of humor because humor is like a higher level cognitive process. Memory can get totally shot. And there's even things like you're more likely to make a risky decision and less likely to empathize with someone else. They have these cool gambling studies that shows these effects. And there's even things like your pain perception goes up. So you're actually more sensitive to pain when you're sleep deprived, which is probably in part why it's harder to like empathize with people because you're basically focusing on yourself and your own survival more when you're sleep deprived. Yeah. So it sounds like getting a good night's rest is important for our success and futures. So I've heard different um, innovative workplaces like Google, Nike, Zappos, they have nap rooms or nap pods, and they're paying their employees to sleep in hopes to boost performance or alertness. How do you, you feel about napping? Is it something that you recommend? So I'm a big proponent of napping. You know, I'm familiar with a lot of these companies that have these nap pods. And one of the issues that we're trying to work with these companies with is even though they have these facilities, oftentimes the culture at work doesn't promote them having the opportunity to take a nap. But I really believe that for optimum performance, especially for these jobs that require like divergent abstract thinking, that taking like a 20 minute power nap during your circadian dip is going to really improve your ability to perform at your job. And we're trying to show this to employers right now that oftentimes like when you take that power nap, you'll be able to solve that intractable problem that you were dealing with earlier in the day. You know, I think this is something that's gonna 
take over maybe in the next like two to five years. And we're working with like a group of people in Copenhagen that are actually creating these pop-up nap pods where you can just go into this facility and take a quick 20-minute power nap. And I think that's a really powerful tool. So 20 minutes is kind of a quick thing. Some people don't even fall asleep fast enough. Do you have any tips on how to fall asleep faster or nap faster? One of the things about sleep, which is kind of counter to like the American culture, is that like it's not like exercise where like the harder you, you know, force it, the better the outcome. Like the harder you try to fall asleep, the harder it is to fall asleep, right? You know, sleep is something that just comes on naturally. It shouldn't be forced. And even just closing your eyes during that circadian dip at around two to four in the afternoon after lunch is going to produce alpha waves and maybe even theta waves that are regenerative. So what I would say is you can't force it. Humans aren't meant to work continuously for eight hours. Like we're just not built this way. So even if you can just find a quiet place to just close your eyes for a little bit, that's going to be regenerative for you. So our next question is on polyphasic sleep. It was inspired by one of our awesome Slack community members. And instead of sleeping for the traditional eight hours all at once each night, polyphasic sleep is all about short periods of sleep throughout the day. So the end result is more frequent periods of sleep, but significantly fewer hours spent sleeping. Geniuses like Einstein, Tesla, Da Vinci, they only slept a few hours a day. Edison, three or four hours a day. Da Vinci and Tesla, just two hours a day. These were highly successful people. And I also read that if you slept just three hours a day instead of the prescribed eight hours starting at 20 years old, you would gain over 11 years in your lifespan. So it seems like a very attractive deal. Do you think these guys were onto something? Basically, no, no, and no. (laughs) (laughs) So, I, I mean, our bodies need to sleep. It's responsible for like cell recovery, processing information. There's all this empirical evidence for this. I have never seen a study, a peer-reviewed study, that shows that this is a healthy thing and that improves cognitive performance. Yes, there is the time factor. You get more time. Another interest that I have in this is being slightly bipolar can be sort of beneficial in certain situations. That's probably why so many people have evolved Um, to be this way, like a lot of famous and successful people are slightly bipolar. My guess is that a lot of these geniuses, when they're sleeping only two hours a night, are basically in a manic state. A lot of times when you're in a manic state, you don't sleep much. And then when you get in the down state, you crash. We don't really know like how much Tesla, Da Vinci, and Einstein actually slept, right? Yeah, so this polyphasic sleep seems a little bit extreme for us, but there has been numerous accounts that humans used to sleep in two shifts. Um, I read that Shakespeare, Charles Dickinson, medical texts, even African and South American tribes have referenced a first and second sleep. Can you talk to us maybe about how our ancestors used to sleep? Young and profiters, they may call me the podcast princess, but I'm also the LinkedIn queen. I've been a LinkedIn influencer for six years now, and I teach one of the most popular courses about LinkedIn. And I love to teach sales on LinkedIn because when it comes to B2B sales, LinkedIn has got that on lock. 
LinkedIn is where all the decision makers are hanging out. There are 180 million senior level decision makers on LinkedIn and 10 million C-suite decision makers. These people are on LinkedIn and they're in the mode to buy. They're using LinkedIn for their buying journey to research vendors or sales reps that they might work with, to look up how to solve their problems, to learn from industry thought leaders. They are in the mode to buy, whereas on other platforms, they're in the mode to be entertained. You want to get them in the right mindset. You want to cut through the noise with LinkedIn ads. In fact, 79% of B2B marketers rate LinkedIn as their top channel for paid media. And LinkedIn has the best targeting because they've got all these different inputs. People are putting their resume basically up on there. And so there's so many keywords that they can use to target the right decision makers so they can hear about how you solve their problems. And I've got a special gift for all you young and profiters who want to try LinkedIn ads. You can get $100 credit. LinkedIn was super generous. If you want to make B2B marketing everything it can be and get $100 credit on your next campaign, go to linkedin.com slash yap, Y-A-P. Again, if you want to claim your credit, go to linkedin.com slash yap. Terms and conditions apply. Young and profiters, as you may know, I launched my LinkedIn Secrets Masterclass a little bit over a year ago. It was my first course. And so far, I've generated well over $500,000. And the best part is I didn't have to figure out how to set up my mastermind subscriptions, how to do abandoned cart targeting and all of that tech geeky stuff. I just left that all to Shopify. (coughs) Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. And if you're in that, I need to sell more with less stage, Shopify magic is your AI superpowered sidekick ready to whip up captivating content that converts. And it doesn't matter if you're selling digital products or vegan cosmetics. Shopify helps you sell anything anywhere from their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system. Stop those online window shoppers in their tracks and turn them into loyal customers with the internet's best converting checkout. I'm talking 36% better on average compared to the other options out there. It's no wonder Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the US, including huge global brands like Allbirds and Thrive Cosmetics. It took me a day to set up my Shopify store. I set up chat, took two minutes, and I was done. One month from thinking of the idea to implementation, a year later, I've made half a million dollars on the idea. That's what it takes in 2024, just a good idea. And then utilizing a platform like Shopify that can help you make it a reality. There is no excuse these days. If you've got a good business idea and you think you'll be a good entrepreneur, you don't have to wait any longer. You don't have to be super techie and you never have to worry about figuring it out on your own. Shopify's award-winning help is there to support your success every step of the way. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash profiting. That's all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash profiting now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash profiting. Young and profiters, we are all making money. But is your money hustling for you? Meaning, are you investing? Putting your savings in the bank is just doing you a total disservice. You got to beat inflation. I've been investing heavily for years. I've got an E-Trade account. I've got a Robinhood account. And it used to be such a pain to manage all of my accounts. I'd hop from platform to platform. I'd always forget my Fidelity password. And then I have to reset my password. I knew that needed to change because I need to keep track of all my stuff. Everything got better once I started using Yahoo Finance, the sponsor of today's episode. 
You can securely link up all of your investment accounts in Yahoo Finance for one unified view of your wealth. They've got stock analyst ratings. They have independent research. I can customize charts and choose what metrics I want to display for all my stocks so I can make the best decisions. I can even dig into financial statements and balance sheets of the companies that I'm curious about. Whether you're a seasoned investor or looking for that extra guidance, Yahoo Finance gives you all the tools and data you need in one place. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit the brand behind every great investor, yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com. That's yahoofinance.com. Yeah, so that's true. So, I mean, there's also like Canterbury Tales. They talk about the second sleep. That's one of the things that sleep researchers have referenced regarding that. So this idea that we should sleep eight hours continuously through the night is a little bit not accurate. It's totally normal to like wake up in the middle of the night, putter around for a while and then go back to sleep if you can. You know, it's better to go straight through, but that seven to nine hour suggestion is across the entire day. So, you know, it doesn't have to be a continuous block. And one of the interesting things in the science here is that when we were developing as a species, we were basically developing together in small groups. And they do these studies that show, like when they get objective measures of indigenous tribes that currently exist on their sleep patterns, over like a three-month period, I'm not going to get the exact numbers correct here, but like over the three-month period, the whole tribe was asleep at the same time for only 30 minutes. So like we naturally have a lot of individual differences when it comes to sleep. And there's morning people and evening people. And so there's probably lots of different patterns of sleep that are ideal for different types of people. And it's sort of an evolution thing to make sure that there's always a member of a tribe that's awake at any given time in order to protect ourselves from predators. So then do you have a recommendation for the amount of sleep that we should get and how we should break down that amount of sleep? Or do you really think it's just individual? All adults need at least seven hours. From there, knowing if it's seven or nine, it's very individual. There's a simple test that I give to people to try to help them figure out how much sleep they actually need. You can never sleep too much unless you have like an infection or you're depressed. So like if you can sleep, you need to sleep for the most part. So what I recommend to people is go to bed at a consistent time prior to a vacation. When you go on that vacation, you are completely free of like, say, external, you know, go on like a relaxing vacation where you're free on external cues pushing you to be awake. Go to bed at the same time every night. And that time that you naturally wake up is probably the amount of sleep that you actually need. Yeah. So let's talk about circadian rhythms a bit more. How do our bodies know when to sleep? So there's this whole crazy system that evolved basically from the fact that we started from bacteria in the ocean that could differentiate sunlight from darkness. Every organism, like every cell in your body has a circadian rhythm. And there's genes that dictate this rhythm, but there's also external cues that dictate this rhythm. The genes are called chronobiology. 
and the external cues are called Zeitgebers. It's this weird German word that means timekeeper. And the biggest external cue is sunlight. Also, the timing of meals, like when you socialize, when you exercise, all these things are environmental cues that entrench your circadian rhythm. So if you want to be the most productive person you can be, you want to have a highly entrenched rhythm where you're getting a peak alertness at the same time every day, and you're getting a peak tiredness or a trough in your tiredness at the same time every day. Usually this is a 24-hour rhythm where you get a peak like around two hours after awakening, you get a dip a couple hours after lunch, and then you get another peak in alertness right before dinner time. And then after dinner, you start getting tired again. And then when you're lowest is usually around like 2 a.m. But this whole system can shift based on if you're a morning person or a night person or night owl or a lark. When you're a teenager, you naturally are more of a night person. As you get older, you're naturally more of a morning person. So it's a shifting rhythm. It differs between people. Probably about 30% of people are night owls. 30% are morning larks. And then the remainder can fluctuate more readily based on these environmental cues. So it gets complicated. Yeah, but it's it's very interesting to know that all these outside factors really affect us. I think I read something where if you go outside when you first wake up in the sunlight, it will help you fall asleep better at night. Totally. Is that true? Yeah, and that's one of the big problems, maybe why millennials aren't getting quality sleep is because this whole system that I'm talking about, there's photoreceptors in your eye that detect sunlight. They even detect it when your eyes are closed. And that sends signals to a place in your brain called the, I love this word, the suprachiasmatic nucleus. And that inhibits the release of melatonin when sunlight is detected. So getting that sunlight in the morning for at least 30 minutes is a really good way to entrench your rhythm and ensure that you'll be tired at night. And then making sure that you're not getting white light at bedtime is another way to not give your body this false cue that it should be alert because we used to not have all this light in our environments. This is only like 150 years old that we have all this light. Let's try to get more info on sleep habits, sleep hygiene. Can you give your best tips on getting a good night's rest when it comes to sound, temperature, light, stress? Yeah. So what we recommend is, and what almost every researcher would say, is you want a quiet, very dark, and cool environment. And basically what we're trying to validate in our studies, and we have software that does a lot of this stuff already, it's called Sonic Sleep, that basically measures the sound in the room and then plays an adaptive, what we call pink noise, kind of like a acoustic cushion that rounds out any sounds that might happen during the night that wake you up. And so it detects the sound in the room and then gradually ramps up this pink noise in order to mask that sound. Because basically what wakes people up isn't the loudness of the sound, it's the abruptness. So like if you're on a plane, for example, it's like a low drum. It's loud, but it won't be disturbing for your sleep. Whereas like even I've seen when we hook people up to electrodes to measure their sleep, I've seen something as innocuous as air conditioning turning on waking people up because it's that abrupt on off that's so disruptive. 
And you can have up to, even a healthy sleeper will have 20 of these awakenings throughout the night and they'll have absolutely no conscious awareness of it. Our brains wake up throughout the night all the time. What we're trying to do is block out noises to reduce the number of these, what are called cortical arousals and improve your sleep quality. And I gave this TED talk where I also describe how we're interested in basically playing sounds in order to entrench the deep sleep delta waves that I talked about earlier. And we actually show in our study that we could increase the percentage of time in deep sleep and the intensity of deep sleep by playing these sounds right at the level that your brain responds to them, but it doesn't wake you up. And the sounds actually entrench these delta waves. And so that's thought to make your sleep more regenerative as well. And then there's also temperature. And so there's a lot of studies out there that show cooling your body before bedtime is a nice cue to help you fall asleep. And like we're working with this watch device called Ember that actually can control your temperature regulation with just like a wrist warm device. And there's some FDA approved devices that actually decrease your body temperature and show that it helps you fall asleep. There's probably like an ideal temperature environment for when you sleep. You lose thermal regulation in REM. And so especially if you have a sleep partner that has different temperature needs, which is normal, especially if it's different sexes, because men and women run in different temperatures. It's like I wrote this article, Split Blankets, Not Beds, where we talk about how Simply having multiple blankets, which is something that's more normal in like European countries like the Netherlands, is an easy way to hack your sleep in terms of getting the right temperature. And then there's the light thing. The light is a little bit simpler. You just want to have only darkness when you are going to bed and you want light during the day. All that information, it seems so intuitive, you know, like, you know that you fall asleep better when it's quiet, you know that you fall asleep better when you're not so hot. And you tend to sleep faster when it's dark around. So I think just being more intentional about the settings around you and, you know, making sure you're not looking at your phone before bed. And like you said, different blankets, like just trying your hardest to make sure that you have those good settings around you. Yeah. And this is like a big inspiration for me. I mean, the devices are bad generally, like the phone in your room is bad generally, but we're getting to a point where we can like non-invasively measure people's sleep with consumer devices like the Apple watch and actually deliver the optimum sound, light and sleep environment for you based on your individual sleep cycles. And that's basically the system that I'm trying to build right now. Very cool. And how about the alarms to wake up to? Do you have any recommendation for the sounds that we should be waking up our bodies with? There's these hacky kind of things that try to wake you up in a lighter sleep cycle. I never recommend that. It's not the right way to wake up. But there is some evidence that waking up in deep sleep is bad, but you also almost get no deep sleep in the last cycle. So it's basically moot. The right way to wake up is very gradually. And this reduces what's called sleep inertia or brain fog. In our software, Sonic Sleep, we start out the alarm, it's almost imperceptible. And then it very gradually increases such that it'll like definitely wake you up at minute 10. But when you're sleep deprived, it might take until minute 10 to wake you up. 
So if you have like a crummy night's sleep, you'll get like an extra couple minutes. And that's actually really important for your recovery, just to even get a couple more minutes versus if you had a good night's sleep, you'll like wake up at minute four. So I strongly believe that that's the right way to wake up. We're also hooking up this system with like Philips Hue light bulbs and stuff. So the alarm will go off and actually it'll brighten up your room and you'll actually get this cue. It's like a smart home environment that you should be awake at this time. Oh, that sounds so interesting. And we'll definitely get into the future of sleep in a bit, but that definitely sounds like that would tie into it. I could just imagine a world where we're like getting gently woken up and the lights are brightening up in our rooms. That would be very cool. Trying to do it. Give it, <laughs> give me like another year. All right. So another question from our Slack community. Some of the members in Slack are reporting that they feel more tired on nights where they face dreams or nightmares. They want to know what dreams and nightmares are, what they come from, and how can we avoid them to get the best quality of sleep as possible? So this is a really interesting thing. Our dreams are how we process all this information. And there's also like a difference between like a nightmare and like a night terror. The nightmares are normal. Night terrors are like more associated with PTSD and traumatic experiences. And if you're someone that suffers from that, it actually impacts your REM and your sleep quality. What I would say about the nightmare and the night terror also is that it's indicative of a overactive fight or flight response and stress. And when you are in a stressful state, you are going to have worse sleep quality. So trying to deactivate that fight or flight response is a way that you're going to both reduce your nightmares and also improve your sleep quality and you'll feel more rested. Since we understand the science of how to stimulate the body while the person's asleep without waking them up, we're actually exploring ways where we can identify these night terrors in real time and then play soothing sounds, maybe even like record your mom saying like everything will be all right, that can actually push you out of this fight or flight response. Because we know how to play sounds that your brain responds during sleep, but it doesn't wake you up. And you are still processing external stimuli from the environment when you're in a sleep state. So that's a really exciting area of our future research. Young and profiters, Yap Media is growing so fast. I have 10 open roles just this month. In the past, it would take me so long to find hires. I have to go on all these different job sites. I have to create my own skills assessments. That's why I let Indeed do a lot of this heavy lifting for me. Indeed is the powerful hiring platform where I can attract, interview, and hire all in one place. Indeed has things like skills assessments, where when we have specific roles, we can find an assessment that matches that role and we can make sure they have the skills that we need. Then I can focus on culture fit. I can make sure they're scrappy enough and are obsessed with excellence and do all the things that we need to do for them to fit in at YAP. And Indeed streamlines hiring with powerful tools like Instant Match. An Instant Match basically matches you with candidates as soon as you put up a job post with people who are qualified right away. It's instant. And the best part is it gets better as you use it. So now when I use Indeed, especially when I'm hiring for similar roles, I get people right away where they know that I'm going to like the candidates because they can see what my preferences were in the past. It gets better as you use it. 
According to US Indeed data, the moment Indeed sponsors a job, over 80% of employers get candidates whose resumes are a perfect match for the position. It's like waving a magic wand that gets better as you use it. So I love using Indeed. We've found a lot of our A players on there. Join more than 3 million businesses worldwide who count on Indeed to hire their next superstar like we do at Yap Media. Start hiring now with a $75 sponsored job credit to upgrade your job post at indeed.com slash profiting. Offer is good for a limited time. Claim your $75 sponsored job credit at indeed.com slash profiting. Again, that's indeed.com slash profiting and support the show by saying you heard about it on Young and Profiting Podcast. Again, it's indeed.com slash profiting to get your $75 credit. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. And so what are dreams exactly? And what are nightmares? Like, do you always dream? Because I never remember any of my dreams. So does everybody dream? Everyone dreams. So dreams happen in REM. They can also happen in lighter sleep. It's not necessarily good or bad, I'd say, if you remember it or don't remember it. But what's happening in these dreams is what's happening in REM is where you're taking all the relevant things during the day and integrating it into your long-term memory, basically, in your personality. So if you have like a really stressful day, that replay factor is more likely to be a nightmare than not. If that makes sense. Yeah. Edgar Allan Poe had this really famous poem that said, all that we see or seem is but a dream within a dream. And this idea of uh, the boundary between dream and reality is something that people are very interested in. Can you talk about the concept of lucid dreaming and controlling our dreams? Yeah. And actually, this is part of what got me interested in this whole field in college after seeing this uh, really cool movie called Waking Life, which is all about lucid dreaming. I think what Edgar's talking about there is the fact that our reality is a construct of consciousness and our dreams are basically just as real as reality to our consciousness. It's all orchestrated by our minds. And so what gets into lucid dreaming is this thing where you can train yourself to be aware of the fact that you're dreaming when you're dreaming. And by doing that, you can control your dream. I'm not an expert at it, but scientifically shown that experts at this can definitely do this. There's these cues that you can do throughout the day to try to train yourself to have a lucid dream. For example, you can't read time when you're dreaming. Your brain is not capable of doing this. So one of the tricks that a lucid dreamer does is they look at their watch throughout the day and ask themselves, am I awake or am I asleep? And since during dreams, we basically replay the events that happen during the day, especially things that are done with intention and that are important to you. Eventually what will happen is you'll be dreaming and you'll look at your watch. You'll notice that you can't read the time and then you can potentially have a lucid dream. That's very interesting. And I could see this definitely playing into the future. What do you think the future of sleep is going to be like? First off, I'm imagining creating the optimum sound, light, and temperature environments that improves the quality. But from like a futuristic, bigger picture idea, I think it's possible to program your brain to integrate certain things and give yourself cues to strategically learn information while you're asleep. That's kind of like a sci-fi idea, but I think it's 
really interesting. You could imagine it being used for evil, but I think it could also be used for empowering people. So before we go, can you give your pitch on why sleep is so important? Like just tell us all the reasons why getting good sleep is a benefit. I would say one of the big takeaways is it's not just the sleep amount, but it's also the sleep quality. And if you have a healthy sleep quality and a healthy sleep amount, you're going to perform better at your job. You're going to have better workouts. You're going to be more effective in the gym. And you're basically going to live longer. So those are three pretty big cells, I would say. For example, if you go untreated for a sleep disorder, like sleep apnea, where you have really poor quality sleep, it's related to every chronic health illness. It's going to increase your hypertension very much causally. Yeah, very strong causal links with cardiovascular disease. And then there's also like your happiness and your ability to communicate with others, which I find is the most captivating reason for me why I want to get good sleep is it's just going to make you a healthier, happier, nicer person to people. And I think that in our current society, sometimes I get the feeling that we're sort of suffering from massive sleep deprivation, given, you know, the current public discourse that we're dealing with. So I I really see that sleep is a pathway to address these major societal issues. Yeah, I totally agree. So how can our listeners keep up with everything that you do? And can you share some of the apps that you have available on the market right now? We have an app called Sonic Sleep Coach, and it does a lot of the sound stimulating and sound masking things that I described, has a smart alarm clock. And in basically two to three months, we're actually going to integrate with Android, Google Wear, Apple Watch, And we have some algorithms that we've actually scientifically validated as being more accurate than devices like Fitbit for measuring sleep. And then in real time, we'll actually be able to deliver these deep sleep stimulating interventions that are designed to improve your sleep quality. And then from there, we're going to hook up to basically all the wearables that people might use. We work closely with this company, Aura Ring, O-U-R-A Ring, and We really like their form factor of a ring because like a lot of people, you know, if you're married, you're very used to sleeping with a ring at night and their sensor is very accurate. We'll integrate with that Philips Hue for getting the light intervention and then Alexa for being able to basically control this whole system that can also do like meditations and stuff just with some auditory feedback to Alexa. So you can check out sonicsleepcoach.com. We have all this information about what we're building. Well, thank you so much. This was so interesting. And I think our listeners will find it really valuable. Hey, I I really appreciate it. And thank you. Thanks for listening to Young and Profiting Podcast. Follow Yap on Instagram at Young and Profiting and check us out at youngandprofiting.com. And now you can chat with us live every single day on our new Slack channel. Check out our show notes or youngandprofiting.com for the registration link. A big shout out to Parth Parikh from our Slack community who suggested the interview question on polyphasic sleep. Follow me on Instagram at Yap with Hala or LinkedIn. You can search for my name, Hala Taha. Big thanks to our incredible Yap team. Your efforts are greatly appreciated and I couldn't do this without you. This is Hala signing off until next time.